Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 17, Easter Special 2022. Hello and welcome back to the podcast and it's the Easter holidays. It's become a tradition for us to do something a little bit lighter. So in between our two IPDA research episodes, which are far from light, but very, very interesting, we're going to bring you our usual mishmash of random goodies that we've culled from the internet. We are, and I am not ashamed to say that mine are not anywhere near lofty. (laughs) They are generally quite fluffy um, to the point that they one of them might make you squirm a little bit Tom because I know how much you love the light and fluffy yeah we've done this before haven't we <laughs> I think it was this time last year actually that oh, I was bringing Framily. you it in... was Framily wasn't it <laughs> or was it Charlie Maxey the uh, that book that you the always make fish, fun of the mole the dog and the camel or whatever <laughs> it's called yeah those whimsical drawings that you see on powerpoints in all good powerpoint suppliers <laughs> and quite a lot of bad ones <laughs> so at christmas is the time that you absolutely floor me when my brain cells are pr- pretty limited anyway with with some kind of hard hitting serious uh, content that i am left sort of speechless at and, oh yeah uh, <laughs> I, I promised i made you a promise before we started recording that i was actually <laughs> it had got to the point i actually was overcome with guilt after that last one that lionel shriver article that i read and then just <laughs> left you to respond to and i have made a pledge to give you a break from that because that was actually beginning to get a little bit mean <laughs> i can cope with it just just not when my brain is practically dead at the end of a term which is why i go for light and fluffy at this point when we're recording for our Easter special so apologies in advance uh, listeners but if you if you're fond of a bit of light and fluffy as you're delving into your chocolate eggs then um, or 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 not as the case may be then um, yeah hopefully this will float your boat right then family well we've made a schoolboy error by not deciding who's going first oh yeah oh shall I shall I go first I'll just do it okay fine often don't go first so uh, yeah go first Okay, um, so I've got a podcast to begin with, um, and it's another one from the BBC World Service called Deeply Human. Um, And before I tell you about what the series is about, I'd like an honest answer from you, Tom. Participation alert, right. What words spring to mind, honest answer now, what words spring to mind when you think of teenagers? Um, well, I suppose the stereotypical one is that they're kind of a little bit hard work and a little bit grumpy. Um, but obviously I'm a secondary teacher, so I made a conscious effort to spend 10 years of my life in classrooms with them. So I quite like them, actually. I think they're quite fun and nowhere near as mean as people tend to make out. Yeah, good. Okay. Well, that is the answer that I would expect of you. (laughs) Um, but it's not 
the answer that you often get no, um, no. they get a bad rap don't they poor old teenagers they do and they have done for years now i can't claim this sort of line of uh, of of thought to open up this 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 debate about teenagers this is something that um someone who i think i've spoken about on the podcast before professor sarah jane blakemore does in her famous uh, one of her famous ted talks um about her research uh, into the adolescent brain and and she traces it you know she can go all the way back to Shakespearean texts where you know we're 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 speaking really really poorly um of of teenagers um and uh they seem to be fair game sometimes for for um abuse (laughs) I, I put mildly um so just to tell you about this this podcast series it's called deeply human the episodes are are really quite short um the one that i'm going to give you a snippet from today is about 23 minutes long um and the little blurb for this podcast is why do you do the things you do hosted by american musician and writer dessa Deeply Human investigates the human experience with rigour, humour, intimate stories and the occasional spit take. Assembling brilliant minds from around the world, from philosophers to anthropologists, neuroscientists to historians, you'll be left with a fuller understanding of your own behaviour and a more charitable explanation of other people's too. So... This episode um, is called The Teenage Brain. Um, As I said, it's a nice gateway into the work of Professor Sarah Jane Blakemore. If you've not heard of her and her work, then I would encourage you to have a look at her book, Inventing Ourselves, The Secret Life of the Teenage Brain, which I think I've spoken about on the podcast before. But I am a particular fan of the work that she did in collaboration with um, a youth theatre called Company 3, who are based in London, um, who used Blakemore's research into the adolescent brain as stimulus material for a devised performance um, with uh, adolescents um, that is now a published playtext um, called Brainstorm and there's even a, a blueprint for how to sort of achieve a similar um, but authentic uh, piece of theatre with young people that you work with if you're a drama teacher or a youth theatre worker out there or, or maybe an English teacher who wants to have a look at this. There are a lot of different uh, uses. However, I'm going to play you a small snippet of this now. Um, and the reason why I like this snippet is it, it's, it's, it features the former actors from the original piece who are now in their 20s discussing what the science helped them to understand about their brain um, as an adolescent and what was going on and how it affected their behaviour at this formative period in their life. What did you find out about your brain when you were doing the play? So essentially the science goes a little bit like this, is that when you're younger your limbic system is at the biggest point and the limbic system is like the reward system is what we called it, so it's the bit that gives you the high like when you're young. Um, and like every time you do something new or exciting it just gets really excited and you're rewarding your limbic system so you end up doing more and more naughty things or things that are considered naughty and teenage-like behaviour. That's Sagan, now in her early 20s, who talks with big fluid gestures through a wide smile. Her castmate Jack was only 14 when he participated in the play. Now he's 18, tall and slim, with curls that fall almost into his eyes. The limbic system is the part of the brain that is involved with taking risks. So when we're younger, 
there's kind of a lot more connections there and we tend to our prefrontal cortex which kind of manages our decision making isn't as developed yet so like we're kind of a lot more prone to taking risks not doing what we're told to do um kind of pushing the boundaries to try and find out what is acceptable and what isn't When you're young your synapses are just growing and you're making so many connections it's easier for you to pick up things and learn things and pick up bad habits or good habits and I guess that's where you can learn new languages and new talents and stuff like that so that was really exciting and that's it and I, I that little snippet I just think it's quite empowering that these teenagers were able to better understand the way that they were behaving and to maybe have a clear argument to push back against any uh, of those uncharitable people out there who who might uh, berate them for 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 taking risks for being a little bit too risky for you know pushing the boundaries um because actually when we find out what's what's going on in the brain at that time and the synapses the limbic system it makes a lot of sense and and actually there's a lot of positives to the way that their brains are developing that you know as as we heard in the final part of that clip there that make them a little bit more prone to and open to creativity it's taking those creative risks um so yeah it just makes makes a nice strong case for why we ought to be a little bit nicer to teenagers so I was thinking then as I was listening to that when I was dropping these awful articles on you about free speech and racism and stuff like that at the start of like podcast episodes, I was just rewarding my limbic system. <laughs> <laughs> Honest, Gov. <laughs> okay. Okay. So me and my unrewarded limbic system are going to bring you <laughs> some goodies now. I've got actually, do you know what? I've actually managed to relate all three of mine to teaching um, this time, which is is unusually swatty of me. So here we go. Um, I, this is a podcast recommendation, although I don't have a clip from it. It's uh, because it's got a wider suggestion attached to it as well. And um, those who know me know that I'm often looking outside of the world of teaching for inspiration, ways to kind of look again at what we do when we're teaching. Um, I've often found journalism and inspiration in looking at how you package up complicated things into accessible kind of digestible forms. The other thing that I, you've often heard me bring to the table, actually, I, I did it in that um, free speech one. I think it was a year ago. I think it was the episode a year ago. You know, the being offensive is an offence one that I mm, did a little while ago. Mm. And I uh, made reference to a legal judgment, which I'd read and I'd found really interesting um, in reading that because I really enjoyed having the process of weighing the argument and setting it out logically and coming to a logical conclusion. I found that was a really nice model of that. And as teachers, we do sort of fetishise um, the great question quite a lot. You know, we always spend a lot of time with our students talking about that. How do you ask the right question? How do you come back with the right follow-up question? You <laughs> Sorry, know? got to interrupt there. I thought... I was pondering, what is the great question? The great question, no, not that. (laughs) I was thinking, I I, I never, I never pondered the great question. Why are we here? What was that one in your reflective model the other day? How did I come to be like this? Maybe it's that one. But uh, no, I mean, the great question that you should ask when you're teaching, uh, depending what 
what situation you're in you know you've got to ask good questions yeah but i often think that we don't give enough um weight or, or a similar amount of weight to giving really great clear instructions i suppose maybe i'm I'm verging on the sort of traditionalist here. I know there's a lot of stuff about direct instruction, but I know when I was a teacher and working with student teachers, we went on about questioning a lot, but sometimes it was really important to give a really clear set of instructions or Mm -hmm. or set out um, something very concisely, very clearly, and at an appropriate level for the people that are actually listening to it. Um, And that can be really useful practically. And I just happened to be listening the other day to an episode of Nick Robinson's Politically Thinking podcast in which he interviewed Jonathan Sumption, Lord Sumption, um, formerly of, uh, I think he was in the Supreme Court. But for some of us of a certain age, he's better known as being Alistair Campbell's QC when they had the Hutton inquiry um, in that massive row between the BBC and the government during the Mm. Iraq war. He was the QC for Alastair Campbell and he was considered then and is still considered now to be one of the greatest legal minds of his generation. And uh, he got a new prominence now. He's, He's retired from the Supreme Court. He came to prominence during the pandemic, arguing really strongly against lockdown. Uh, he's he's argued a number of not entirely kind of popular points. He, he's made a few slightly dangerous points about about women in the legal system and things like that. So he doesn't always argue a point that you're going to agree with. Uh, mm. He was very anti-lockdown during um, the pandemic and his opinion pieces appeared in the broadsheets quite a lot, arguing that we shouldn't do it on, and on the basis that we were massively disadvantaging the young and the fit and people who were, were not going to be greatly affected by COVID. And it doesn't actually matter whether you agree with his argument or not. The thing that I've just found hugely refreshing as I listened to him being interviewed on this podcast by Nick Robinson about his his current, I mean, it was during the pandemic, so it was at the time his anti-lockdown stance, mm. was it was just fantastic to hear somebody put out an argument clearly and concisely and using exactly the mo- you know the clearest language. He didn't use flowery language, even though he's a great legal mind. He put it very, very clearly. Didn't actually matter whether you agreed with him or not. He was putting quite an extreme and quite unpopular at the time view, but it was just wonderful to hear a line of argument being set out clearly and concisely and efficiently. And I just think that if you are looking at your own practice as a teacher, sometimes it's very important to not neglect that side of our art. Yeah, it's an important one, isn't it? And I think coming from the legal sphere, that that skill set, that sort of oration, the, the, the ability to sort of put forward a case um, orally is is really important isn't it and i would imagine has has a set of conventions that that sort of govern it sort of structurally and and um and make it land yeah and there's all these things about rhetoric aren't there all these kind of classical rhetoric things and i suppose a lot of people in the legal profession are very very bright people Mm. similarly a lot of people who come into teaching are very very bright people who know a lot about their subject but um no matter how how amazingly bright you are as a legal person often you're trying to put your argument to 12 randoms off the street which is Mm. how the legal system works and so you have to pitch it in a particular way and similarly when you are 
going back into the classroom and working with young people, you do have to come off your perch a little bit as a subject expert and find a way to put things concisely and clearly and using language that makes it accessible to young people. And so I found that, you know, no matter what you thought about his view on whether we should have been having a lockdown during COVID-19, there is definitely something to take there in terms of that skill set of no matter how clever you are, being able to put things in the right way for your audience, in our case, a bunch of teenagers. Mm, absolutely. So, And I think there are actually quite a few books that are starting to come out. I'm sure they have been prior to now, but I've just noticed a rise in books about making clear or giving good explanations. So it's, uh, it's certainly something that um, you should think about carefully if you are either training to be a teacher or a teacher just wants to hone their craft. Yes. So Jonathan Sumption, Nick Robinson, Political Thinking Podcast for a, a bit of a masterclass class of the art there lovely okay um well i've got it is an article it's it's a little bit dated now um it dates back to january of this year um but before we go there um light and fluffy alert tom it's not too light and fluffy i did put this on your radar at the start of the year and um i've got a question for you again go on then (laughs) are you are you a resolution maker are you no (laughs) That was a concise response using appropriate language. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and, um, you know, how did the how did this year start and how is it going? Uh, it started having a nice rest over Christmas and getting my energy back and coming back full of energy um, and ready to, to, you know, attack the job again with my, my best resolve. And then after about a week, I'd didn't really know that I'd had a holiday. <laughs> I was hit by the educational train pretty hard and uh, it all evaporated again. I, I find that um, particularly in education, resolutions don't just come uh, in January. They, they For me, they, they're sort of, they're punctuated by... <laughs> Easter breaks, half terms, and you know, you just get to this point where you feel absolutely depleted of all resources At which left. Point you start making resolutions, and you yeah. start. I start making resolutions usually when I get, you know, so I, when I feel a bit more refreshed at the end of a of a of a holiday period, even if it's just a week, I start to go right. Okay, I'm going to get better at doing this, and I'm not going to do that, and I'm definitely going to do this. And um, this article that came out, it was a Guardian. I think it was the Saturday Magazine team that put this out um, in January of 2022 and it's a hundred ways to slightly improve your life without really trying <laughs> which kind of spoke to me really because uh, sometimes I do feel a bit but at uh, at these sort of um, ambitious uh, resolutions that clearly you're not going to stick to and I, I'm, I'm a terrible one for making resolutions that um, I find it difficult to, to stick to so I liked I like the tone of this slightly improve your life without really trying so I thought I'd give you a flavor of some of these that um, you would either um, absolutely hate or or, or or might convince you otherwise. Go on then, slightly improve my life. Okay, <laughs> so you li- might like this one. This is number eight. Send a voice note instead of a text. They sound like personal mini podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we did that once, didn't we? Maybe. I've started doing that with some of my friends. Quite nice. Mm. Sharpen your knives. Right. <laughs> 
Sounds, I'm assuming this is for cooking purposes, not for dispatching annoying colleagues. Well, I'll just let you take it as okay. as, as as you like. Um, right. Oh, you're definitely not going to like this one. Number 13, feeling sluggish at work? Try the Pomodoro technique. 25 minutes on, five minute break and repeat. Right. <laughs> um. Oh, this one's important. So for those of you who are long, long-standing listeners, 21, add the milk at least one minute after the tea has brewed. Did a bit okay. of research on that, didn't we? Do you remember? Mm. Oh, we Did didn't we? do it. We, we introduced, uh, do you remember Louise Allen Walker? Oh, Louise Allen Walker, paper. the tea lady. Yeah, yes. the tea lady. Yes, very good. Um, as a musician, you might like this one, start a Saturday morning with some classical music. It sets the tone for a calm weekend. Right. Okay. What would be your well, your, your classical you... music of choice <laughs> on a say, Saturday morning? If you have a, one having to play it. <laughs> <laughs> Not always the calmest of experiences, but yeah. Okay. Um, well, you know, it's got to be Bach for me. J.S. Bach, the there master, the uh, man, the man himself. Yep, the legend. Um, Twenty-six. You've definitely, I think, um, convinced me on this one. I, I've actually started doing this on my own phone. Set time limits for your apps. I didn't actually know you could do this. This wasn't something that you told me. Um, could be done i think you told me about how to switch off your badges uh, notifications and notifications and badges, and yeah things. just go to the settings on your smartphone and add a limit for example if you have an iphone turn on screen time which i now do so um my my uh my phone tells me that i've run out of time on certain apps um oh if i've been using them for too long um this one is uh oh, let's i've lost it now there we go um 42, don't have Twitter on your phone. Okay. Um, 57, every so often search your email for the un- for the word unsubscribe and then use it on as many as you can. <laughs> yeah, you do have to do that. Yeah, thought you'd like that. This is definitely one for me. Instead of buying a morning coffee, set up a daily transfer of £2 from a current uh, into a savings account and forget about it. Mm. Use it to treat yourself to something different later. 73, thank a teacher who changed your life. 74, respect your youngers. Definitely uh, <laughs> chimes with what I mentioned earlier on. Um, 80, this is for all of our student teachers out there. Mute or leave a WhatsApp group chat. Oh, goodness me, yes. <laughs> um, 89, politely decline invitations if you don't want to go. <laughs> 90, if you do go, have an exit strategy. Can we recommend a French exit where you slip out unseen? I love that. I love doing that, yeah. <laughs> and 93, do that one thing you've been putting off. What's that one thing you've been putting off, Tom? Ooh, there's probably quite a lot of things I've been putting off. Right, my PhD. Oh. <laughs> That's something I've been putting off. Awkward. <laughs> um, and 16, tease up my last contribution, so I'll just drop it in and then I'll go to you and we'll come back to it. So it's 16, set aside 10 minutes a day to do something you really enjoy, be it reading a book or playing Halo. <laughs> 10 minutes, 10 precious 10 minutes. minutes. What do you do with your 10 precious minutes a day, Tom? I can't remember the last time I had 10 precious minutes a day, to be honest. <laughs> so that's uh, that's my light and fluffy okay. 100 ways uh, to slightly improve your life without I really trying. duly improved. And as ever, I'm now going to chop the prevailing atmosphere off at the knees with something completely different. Marvellous. So here's my tweet. This one is from Dan Woori. I apologise, Dan, if I've pronounced your surname wrong. He is a Senior Director of Early Learning at the Hunt Institute 
in North Carolina. Okay. And this tweet. The Hunt popped, Institute. The Hunt Institute okay. North Carolina. Nothing to do with hunting then. No, no, no. It's to do with education. Okay. Uh, and he has uh, put, he's managed to find one of these uh, ins- um, inspirational graphics that infest social media <laughs> and PowerPoints that you have to sit through and all of that kind of thing and he has i'm going to read what it says in a minute but i'm going to read his caption first yet another example of fetishizing teachers sacrifice what if instead we supported teachers deliberately and systematically uplifted their well-being as key to student success teachers consuming themselves is not a healthy or sustainable model just stop hashtag edgy twitter and underneath is one of these lovely inspirational graphics that says the following i hope you've got some form of receptacle ready under your desk emma (laughs) a good teacher is like a candle it consumes itself to light the way for others oh that's horrendous is it not just somebody underneath has replied don't set yourself on fire to keep others warm And uh, Dan has come back and said, it's astonishing how many of these kinds of quotes are floating around as inspiration, in oh, quotes. So dangerous. Um, someone says, isn't this what burnout is? Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so and there are various other examples then further down in the in the thread. Um, you know, somebody saying teaching is a great career. It takes a lot of knowledge, a very high level of skill and commitment, which is why most people can't do it. <laughs> Ain't it the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Nasty. Nasty yeah. sort of, yeah, there's... um. Wait, who makes those? Who makes them? Who makes those things? Who writes I them? I Stop. don't know. It's, it's, the trouble with it is there's no denying the fact that none of us are in this gig for the money. We're all in here because because it is we, we do care about the kids, but it does get pushed to a level that is frankly unsustainable and unhelpful and really not very healthy and obviously we spend a lot of our time uh, kind of peeling new members of the profession off the floor who've pushed themselves too hard and held themselves to too high standards and are just unable to switch off and unable to balance things and stuff like that does not help (laughs) so stop posting it people I think you should set up some kind of uh, Twitter handle dedicated to, um, you know, not ousting them, but just shining a light. Shining a light on them. Yeah. And if I could. On the worst offenders. Yeah. If I was any good at artistic endeavours, I could perhaps start knocking out whimsical pencil drawings that uh, put the alternative point of view. There's a coffee table book in the making there. It certainly is. There's certainly a lot of Twitter graphics if I could only draw. <laughs> Right, okay, well. Come on, recover us from that, Emma. Uh, well, mine is definitely sort of tweet related. Um, got another question for you. Go on, then. <laughs> I'm working for this today. <laughs> I settle back in my chair, you know, to get my breath back after a little rant, and then I go answer <laughs> questions. Come on, then. What do the combination of yellow, green, and grey boxes mean to you? Um, somebody's been hitting design ideas too hard in PowerPoint or uh, little spreadsheets that you make to change colour to please your senior leaders. No, no. no. Have you seen sort of an influx of these sort of indecipherable 
graphics that are made up of, uh, I want to say five, it is five, yeah, Great five boxes, boxes um, times six, like a grid with yellow, green and grey boxes. I gotta be honest and say no, but then I'm not very plugged into no, no, into no. the you know what's the zeitgeist. Well, I did, and I was like, "What is this thing? What is the formula?" So it's like a numerical formula above it. There's like a grid of six rows of five boxes in combinations of yellow, green, and grey. I was like, "What is this? What is going on?" Because I could see. Oh, it. it's that wordle thing. <laughs> my mum and dad love that. <laughs> Do they? Well, yeah, my dad does them in French. Wow, well, they can be my friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, now I know what you're on about. Sorry, yeah. I was thinking about entirely the wrong thing. No, 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 it's okay. It's, uh, yeah, so uh, that was, that, for me, I could just see it all over Twitter. I was like, what is this thing? What is it? And I, I had to do some Googling to, to, to figure it out. And it is, in fact, as you say, it's Wordle, which is a web-based word game. It was created and developed by Welsh software engineer, mm. Josh Wardle, um, <laughs> and is owned and published by the New York Times company um, since uh, this year. Um, players have six attempts to guess a five-letter word with feedback given for each guess in the form of coloured tiles which indicate when letters match or occupy the correct position. Um, and I just love it. <laughs> I'm an addict. Um, as I think the vice feeling... chancellor is as well, actually. Yeah, it's. Same I mean, wordly in a way. I think the novelty is that it has a single daily solution. So people who play it, they're all attempting to guess exactly the same word. Um, I think yesterday's, which uh, um, by the time I'm safe, safely uh, away <laughs> from it now, spoilers. and no, no spoilers, um, it was stove. Um, and caused a lot of chaos. <laughs> a lot of people found that one particularly difficult. Um, yeah, and it, you know, there's a there's a whole raft of people who um, uh, you know tried to give tips and tricks about how how best to play it and to improve your stats, improve your stats. But I'd say that kind of just limits the the fun. Just just get on it and give it a go. So my ten minutes every day. <laughs> of uh, of uh, of something for me is playing wordle but also playing global heard of global nope okay so <laughs> this was introduced to me by um uh, a former podcast guest um and teacher in Pencoitra high school stephanie robinson who sent me this she plays it she's a geography teacher as i say and she plays it with uh, some of her pupils um and Global asks players to guess a mystery country every day. Um, and you start by entering a country into the search box and it'll be shaded on the globe. And the darker shade of red, it gets the closer you're getting to the correct answer. Um, and uh, yeah, it's quite addictive too. And I'm learning new countries because I, I am a little bit geographically challenged. Ah, the boss of MI6 hit the news, didn't he, the other day by telling everyone to stop posting their results on Twitter. He got very fed up a bit. Did he? Yes, oh, made the news. Oh, <laughs> dear, I missed that one. I know that it, it, well, it annoyed me at first because I didn't read it. Maybe he just wasn't in the know. Maybe, uh, you know, when he becomes a, a, a convert, he'll be, he'll be at it with the best of us. Maybe. Right. Okay, so I think this is the last thing now, is it? It is. Yeah, okay. It is. I've exhausted my resources. Uh, marvellous. Okay, I've got a news story from CNN. Okay. Uh, I suppose I should probably get back at you here and ask you a question, which okay. is, do you ever receive emails from people that we teach asking questions which make it abundantly clear that they haven't read something really basic? Yes. Yes, me too. We'll leave that there, students. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Almost daily. <laughs> 
Okay, well, <clears throat> for all of us then, we'll enjoy this news story from CNN uh, involving a, a professor of performing arts, actually. Oh, so he's uh, obviously one of my tribe. Okay. And it says here, with every new college semester, students are faced with multiple syllabuses outlining the subjects in their classes. But do students read them thoroughly? One Tennessee professor put it to the test. Uh, Kenyon Wilson is the Associate Head of Performing Arts at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and decided to put an Easter egg, not a real one, in the syllabus for his music seminar class this past semester. Nice. So buried in the, you know, massive long handbook for his module, he he added the sentence, thus, open bracket, free to the first two claims, locker 147, combination 15, 25, 35, close brackets, students may be ineligible to make up classes and blah, 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 blah. So in the middle of a load of boilerplate text, he wrote free to the first two claims, gave the number of a locker on campus, and then just carried on with the boring boilerplate regulation text. This would have led students to a locker that contained a $50 bill free to the first student to claim it. Wow. But at the end of the semester, when he went to check the locker, the bill was still there. (laughs) The class was made up of 71 students. Oh, despair. (laughs) And the professor told CNN his syllabus typically doesn't change much. But with COVID protocols, there was some new information this time around. So he told them on the first day of class that there there was stuff that had changed in the module handbook as we would call it mm. and for them to make sure that they read it so he put the reward in the locker he left a note inside that read congrats please leave your name and date so i know who found it he was also sure to set the combination lock with a certain number at the top to determine whether anybody had even touched the combination lock but the combination was never even turned oh my gosh <laughs> He waited until final exams were done and the semester was over before checking the locker and then revealed the unclaimed cash in a post on Facebook. Uh, He said his students had been good sports about it. And we've got some quotes from the students here who said, I honestly thought it was hilarious. The class typically is the same format every semester, so students know what to expect. Don't take the time to read the syllabus like we should. And he said, it's a very smart experiment for Dr. Wilson to test it out. Definitely made the music students realise that despite repetitive information, you should still read through your syllabus carefully. Um, So he says the professor ends this article by saying, perhaps spring 2022 will be the most read syllabus ever. We should get him on and find out if it was. I can't help but think it was a bit of a backhanded comment there from one of his students saying that it's pretty much the same every time nothing changes and that's why I don't read it. (laughs) Yes. Well, I think uh, everybody, you need to be watching all of our videos about (laughs) progress reviews, the professional learning portfolio and all those lovely things just in case. We've we left something around campus for you. We did talk about leaving an Easter egg in one of our videos, didn't we? We've thought about leaving some of our outtakes in. But yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Keep keep an eye out, everyone. There we go. Watch out for that, students. There might be a real Easter egg waiting for you somewhere around campus. Oh, so relevant. I love that. That was great. I, okay, well, um, we've come to the end of another Easter special. I can't believe we're at Easter again. Yeah, nearly. Nearly, almost, yeah. <laughs> Hang on in there, we're nearly there. <laughs> um, you enjoy the rest uh, of your Easter break um, and we'll be back in your ears in two weeks' time. Yes, normal service resumed with the second half of our IPDA double bill special. So we look forward to that. Bye. Bye. 
You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. There were no special guests this episode, but we hope you enjoyed all the random stuff we brought to you from the depths of the internet and that you have a good Easter break. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blanford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We're on Twitter at Talk Teaching Pod if you want to come and say hello. We'll be back in your ears in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. Thank you.